Hi, I'm Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, and this is Newsfeed, a podcast about the intersection of politics, technology, and the media. And I am uh, recording this episode, as, as you would expect, in Riga, Latvia, a place where I started my career as a stringer for the Wall Street Journal Europe, and where I still come back a lot of, a lot of summers. Um, and, and when I was here last summer, uh, and by the way, it's a great place to come in the summer that's light all night, great beer. And in fact, last summer I was, I was sitting drinking beer with two of the best journalists here. Ivan Kolpakov, the editor of the independent Russian language site Medusa, who was essentially forced out of Moscow to Riga to continue doing independent journalism. And Inga Springa, a great investigative journalist and the co-founder of Ray Baltica, a kind of pro-publica for the Baltic states. And, and we were talking about, about the media space here and about what people consume and about particularly the, just the vast difference between what Latvia's large Russian minority and its Latvian majority see, not just, not just in the press day to day, but really see about their own identities, about what's happening to their country, about what's happening in the region, about, you know, about Russia and Russian power in the United States. And just it's, it's hard to find a place where you have people living peacefully side by side, experiencing such radically, radically different different media, different views of the world. So I wanted to pick up that conversation and also the conversation broadly about doing journalism in Russia's shadow at a moment when we in the U.S. are both totally obsessed with news that is touching Russia and I think totally out of touch with what Russian journalists are talking about and seeing, which turns out not to be Donald Trump Jr. I guess I thought I would... um, Start with you, Inga. What, how I think because I think the story of Ray Baltica is a bit the story of independent media, you know, over the last ten years across this region. What you're seeing now in Poland and other places as well. You were a reporter for Diana, right? Yes. Which and Diana was the sort of quite well respected. The best uh, newspaper in the Baltic country is the best quality after so, uh, a fall of Soviet Union. And then in, in, during in crisis time in 2009 and 10, um, all. Newspaper media collapsed, and the uh, world economy collapsed, and the also collapsed. And it was so far; it was it belonged to Swedish family. And then one day, in our editorial, arrived a young guy with B- white BMW and said, "No, I'm your new editor." And we asked, "And who are the owners?" Oh, there are some guys behind the offshore companies, but you don't need to know them. And now, seven years later, there is one criminal case with leaked materials, and we can see like all three Latvian richest oligarchs were behind and deciding who. Who will own which media? And and why did the why, why were oligarchs interested in owning Diana? Well, because they wanted money, and if you, you know, if you have media, you have power, and you have money. So they are corrupt. They love money, and that's that's, that's how it's happened. And what became of the reporters at Diana who were so trying? So there to... was a bunch of people, like the whole editorial team, we as investigative teams, my colleagues left, and they established weekly magazine here, which is now publishing these oligarch conversations. And but just to be clear, that this magazine here, IR, got got um, leaked, 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 recorded conversations among the oligarchs discussing divvying up the media and They're dividing up media and who will be the next president and why this person cannot be president because he is too soft but let's let's better took this person because this person is more bigger asshole so it will be easier to lead him and that's actually know, the principle like, that we in the united states choose our presidents based on also yeah we kind of guess so far that it's <laughs> happening like that but no we have also evidence that it's really happening like that and so i'm so satisfied now when i tweet every tweet with this quote 
short now, so it's my small revenge. But uh, I went to the United States on a Fulbright Scholar, and I came back and we established it's like the first non-profit NGO of investigative journalism. And six years ago, it was we were just talking about Russia's soft power, but then Crimea happened, and and then really like what are you saying now? In in it, I feel like in America, everyone is about wow, fake news, propaganda, and Russia. For us, it was like topic for like at least last four or five years when we've observed all it like in, indirectly in front of us and we were part of it. Yeah, and actually I think before before we get to um, to Medusa, one of the interesting things about this country is you have two totally separate media here. You have a, a Latvian language media and you have a Russian language media that serves a Russian minority that's about a quarter of the country, more or less, depending on where you are here in Riga, it's probably a majority. And I don't know, you, Ivan, you're, as a, as, just as a consumer of the Russian language media here to the extent that you do consume it versus Moscow media. Yeah. Like, I guess I wonder what you guys see in the, in the gap between those two. Like, what's, what, what, what view of the country do you get reading the Russian media? Well, uh, it's incredible. I think if I would be, you know, kind of uh, Latvian authorities, I would give them money because it, it, it's, it, it's something from the beginning of 1990s. It is something that completely disappeared in, in Russia. This is this post-Perestroika press it is completely focused on what's happening in Russia, on Russian president, Russian government, Russian celebrities. Mm-hmm. And this is what actually Russians here in Latvia want to consume. This, and this is about uh, agenda. Their agenda is totally Russian. They are focused on what's happening in Russia. Latvia, uh, from, that pers- from the perspective of that media, seems like some bizarre, you know, um, uh, phenomena. And they are, you know, trying to survive here. And does it carry this kind of Russian agenda of opposition to NATO, opposition to the United States? Uh, it's somewhere in between because it, it is post-perestroika. You, you can't say that they are, you know, completely, uh, they, they, they are not supporting Putin on 100%. Mm. Uh, you know, they, you can't say that, that they are extremely loyal to Kremlin. No, you can't say that. But they, they are somewhere in between. But you you can feel that you can observe that Russian agenda is more relevant to these journalists and their readers than Latvian agenda. I recently did a research also about this uh, this one newspaper Westy because I was doing research about uh, Russian speaking uh, media or websites who are covering and writing about Latvia. What who are the owners? What are their pro- pro- agendas and so on? And then I saw that one of the nastiest, really like disgusting one was our daily newspaper Westy, which is like in which Latvia, is my favorite. Which, uh, local <laughs> that's, that's what I used to read Russian when I was here also. Very colorful. And, then, and yes, and it's really, it's like about all the bad things, what's happening here. They are taking like from Sputnik and all from C's uh, media, like news and making from the, even, This is from the state-owned Russian state-owned, media. And make it even more nastier. And, and just know, to be clear, the Russian sort of, the, the I, government agenda here is I to, didn't know that, I, I really wanted to know, I, met, I wanted to try to meet these journalists to understand, are they doing it because they really believe in this and what's the reason behind. But I had this feeling now they would do for money more or less everything because they are very uh, little paid. Their uh, average salary is 300 euros. And the Russian journalists are paid much worse than Latvian journalists in Latvia. So, uh, and, and another thing is they think, but this is what our reader wants. And then there was this one uh, journalist, she was sent to uh, Kiev to do a material after year after referendum in Kiev. And uh, it was in paid. In Crimea, probably. I'm sorry, Emirate. yes. I'm yeah. sorry, yes, mm-hmm. yes, in, in Crimea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and it was paid by a Russian embassy here all this trip but they wrote it like really it was paid by Russian embassy and then uh, Yelena she interviewed like one pro-Russian and pro-Putin loving uh, editor there and and then she also interviewed Kazakhs and this headline was like they took away our uh, fatherland and this West newspaper, they published this really like you. And, and Yelena said, you see, there is no censorship. They published a different opinion. But next to this article, they also published, oh, so these Kazakhs, they want to be in European Union. They have to come to Riga and see what a disgusting life it is here. <laughs> so huh. kind of independent opinions. It's complicated because it has, well, uh, there are many reasons why does this press look like this. Yeah, because their their readers want that kind of press because they have links with uh, uh, Russian they watch government. They Russian TV and the and, main and they watch Russian, Russian TV. TV and so. and, and uh, but in many ways it is the mirror of what Russian people feel here. Yeah, being in independent Latvia, yeah. this it shows in many ways the attitude to Latvian government and the and Latvian policy towards uh, Russian speaking minority yeah. here. But again, it's a big mistake. We cannot talk about one one like Russian as a mass. They are like very different different right. groups. These old pensioners, mostly like men, fifty, sixty, they are the ones who are like reading Westy and and believing in in Russian TV. And I think, but then I think, for, and the thing that was most striking to me is that for the Latvian majority who lives here, like they kind of have no idea that this is the way their Russian neighbors see the world. Yeah, sure. Latvians don't know about this. Latvians live in totally different parallel and it's the same about Russians. It was there was one story I used to tell when uh, we had very famous, uh, beautiful actress and like and she was famous for 10 years already. And then in one event in, in Russian event, she met a very famous uh, Russian radio DJ who also lived there for 10 years. And they met each other and it was like first time they say find out that they yeah, are living they, in Latvia. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. And I think that's two I mean, worlds. So you feel so strongly here is that kind of yeah exactly the two worlds and now Riga is also Riga has always been kind of a famous I think the American term for it is a listening post it's where American spies in the 1930s went to sort of try to understand what was happening in Stalin's Russia and it's also always been a place where people who couldn't operate in Moscow f- were forced forced out it was refugees you know di- diplomats all sorts of people journalists and and I guess I hope you could tell me a little the I'm sure. You, I mean, you know, just assume our readers don't don't know the the um, the epic story of Medusa. Uh, well, so tell tell me a little where like where how you how you I'll, you you poor Muscovite exiled here in Riga <laughs> yeah, how that yeah, happened. Yeah. I'll try to tell this story briefly. So it was 2014, a really tough year in Russian history. Not the best year in Russian history, and I think in the history of there have been a lot uh, of tough years world. in Russian history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But 2014 is was really special. So. Um, We've been working, me and my colleagues and uh, my chief at that time, Galina Timchenko, we've been working in the most uh, famous Russian uh, internet media. It was the biggest internet media in Russia, I think, ever. So none of this is new. It was Lentaru. Um, but it had 20 million uh, unique visitors per month. I think you you can compare the, the, the size of this audience only with uh, federal channels, uh, main national television. So it was really influential, and it was it was uh, it had independent editorial policy, and right after so-called Crimea referendum, 
I think it was right after or right just before the uh, Crimea referendum. Uh, she was fired by the owner of uh, these. And Lenta had been covering the war in Crimea. It, yeah. it 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 covered all Ukrainian issues. I think it, we've covered way more than any Russian media um, events in 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 Kiev, uh, Euromaidan, and stuff like that. And also, you know, what's happening in eastern part of Ukraine. So uh, she was fired and uh, almost all editorial staff decided to quit to support her and, uh, you know, to show that we are not, we are disagree, disagree with what's happening with Lenta. So it, it was something incredible because, you know, almost all editorial staff decided to quit in a very short period. And uh, so now it is completely different media. And uh, me and Galina and some of our colleagues, we, you know, we, we, we met some days later just you know to to drink alcohol and to cry and to complain and we realized that the, there is actually no place for us in in that environment there is no media where we want to work and there is a teeny tiny chance you know to make new media probably it's the the stupidest idea in 2014 to make new political and social media in russia and it, it was extremely scary because when you're making something that big as Lenta, I call this, uh, you know, the problem of uh, the second album. Because when you're, when you're an artist, when you're um, a music, musician and you're making your first album and, and occasionally it becomes a big success, it's really hard to make the second album because you're asking yourself, was it like, you know, it, was it fortune? or it, it is your skills, you are the professional. So it was a kind of challenging thing for us to make a second album. And do you feel that now, I mean, if, you know, I like, I read Medusa all the time. They have a great site in English, um, as does as does Ray Baltica. And you have, I don't know, how big is your staff now? Um, it is close to 50, I guess it yeah. is. We started from 15, now but we it's, are It's a big news operation, you publish things all the time. Do you feel there are limits on what you can publish or are you sort of no. truly independent? Well, it's uh, because it's you know it's it's it's. I think you shouldn't do this uh, job if you have some limits in what what you're doing. Uh, that's why we we made Medusa because we felt that there are limits in all other places. So you know, do uh, uh, I feel scared you know of publishing something this or that? Yes, I I'm thinking about it, but then I'm saying to myself, you know, come on. Nothing's gonna happen. You have to do. This is your job. That's why you did that. That's why you moved to Riga and you live here for three years already. So I wouldn't say that we have some limits. And one of the things that's interesting to me about Medusa is I think for a lot of um, a lot of journalists who want to take risks and, and confront power, particularly in countries where it's unstable, go go the route that Ray Baltica has, which is raise raise money from you know a variety of backers, some local, some not, and try to. And, and you sort of insulate yourself from pressure in some ways if you have backers who are really strong there. Medusa is, is running a business, selling advertising. Absolutely, yes. That seems challenging, and I mean, with the position that you're in. Uh, and we started uh, when, when, you know, in, in the circumstances of huge economical crisis, which is from one side, you need to earn money right now. It is a problem, but from, you know... And the, you're right, and what's worse is, right, you're earning rubles. Yeah, and yeah. And spending euros. Yes, this is really, this is really hard to, um, to make that kind of you business model. You wish you moved to, like, Tashkent or something? We've we thought about it, yes. 
at some moment at some period it was it, it, it was almost a disaster because like you know for some months several months we just didn't uh, realize how can we survive in in in, in that situation in 2015 it was very un- unstable uh, yeah i mean did you uh, think period. about seeking you know u.s government support no no no, it is impossible for if you are making Russian-speaking media, which is focused on on Russia. You just, you know, uh, and we had a very small list of investors when we started. What does the Kremlin think of you? you they must be very aware of you. I have no idea. I think I know. I know that they are that the the president and the um, guys in in president administration they are reading Medusa for sure. Uh, we are very popular media. We are you ever, one step. You get, you get emails from Putin about typos and things. <laughs> Thank God, no. But uh, I'd love to get some emails from them probably. Uh, anyway, I th- I know that they are reading us. I know yeah. that there are some fans uh, among uh, Kremlin staff. Uh, there are some fans of Medusa uh, because we're making good media and entertaining and funny and interesting and and uh, so you can't get something like this from any media on that market yeah it's probably i mean i think sometimes you see in countries where you have a as in russia now a, a domestic media that's very scared of stepping outside the line that the people in power actually also do want to understand what's happening and because they have twisted the media so much they can't really understand through their own media what is happening you're right and uh, we also have that image of uh, this uh, strange, actually strange media, which combines uh, traditional journalism with entertaining journalism. And this it, is it, very, I mean, you know, obviously I'm opposed to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably heard something about that kind of media. Yeah. Uh, and it's really good, you know. If you're making Russian media right now, it gives you totally different image than all other independent media in Russia have, because you know. There is, for example, just one example. There is Novaya Gazeta, which is one of the oldest Russian oppositional media. It started in the in, in the beginning of the 1990s. It, it looks radically oppositional because it's very traditional. It is post-Soviet. Uh, it has just like Vesti, this uh, post-perestroika style of journalism. So if they're, you know, saying something they look like they have this image of activists. They are not activists. We know that they are not activists, and we know that there are a lot of brilliant journalists who work for Nova Gazeta. But in the eyes of Kremlin people, they are activists. Do you and consider yourselves enemies. opposition media? No, we are considering ourselves as uh, independent media. But how about, how about you? Do you consider yourself opposition media? Well, a few weeks ago, I received a word uh, from the hands of our prime minister by saying thank you for what we are doing. And I felt very strange at that moment. So no, I don't feel as yeah, opposition that's, that's media. The, that's the worst, right? <laughs> so I, I thought, is it good or bad? Yeah. Now? Because he was saying thank you. And the event was organized by a, a business community and they just invited prime minister to give a word. And they said, thank you for writing all these investigations about uh, information war and Russia and inequality and yes i was maybe like, less about the oligarchs what um yeah well, i do wonder like you must i don't know i'm sorry ben are yeah. you considering yourself as an oppositional media no we consider ourselves independent media but it's a <laughs> but it's a question i've been asked it's like it's not a, it's, it's a yeah i mean i think it's an interesting question and i think there are outlets in the u.s now that in some ways are acting more like traditional opposition media i mean i think it's dangerous right because you put your goals ahead of what you actually know I agree. I, I agree. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. From from the perspective out here, are you watching the kind of crazy American 
obsessions right now or are you just are you busy with your own problems i mean is the american storm around russia a subject of interest out here I don't know. I think it was at the beginning when Trump was elected, everyone was worried and what will happen and we have to think about our security and, and let's see where we will go. And and also at that time, that time I was doing this research about what Russian websites are writing about us and yes, everyone was scaring. Yes, Trump will come and Trump will give, take away all the money which, uh, uh, you know, America was giving to you and now you will see what's actually how in bad situation you are. But uh, otherwise, no, I don't feel like... Um, but, I, but I guess I wonder, do you have any... I mean, for American journalists who I think are in this very, like, new... I mean, the thing with reporting in the United States is that you actually... You often have the goal of, like, figuring out what actually happened, getting into the room, getting the clear answer, leaving with a totally clear, totally reported out picture of the situation. And I think in Russian journalism, often you never get to the bottom. Like, a lot of Russian stories important Russian stories. I mean, I'm thinking of the apartment building bombings, you know, but smaller ones as well. You know what? Like, it's not totally, I think it's sometimes hard to get to the bottom. And I wonder if you have any sort of advice for American journalists who are sort of navigating these these kind of waters for the first time. Now, first of all, I think that there are many facts which we already have written with Sanita, with my colleague, like three or four years ago. And now there are still are coming many, many foreign journalists. And for them, it's like, wow, really? So, I mean, foreign correspondents often are kind of embarrassing, you know, and good foreign correspondents are great, but there's a kind of lazy style also that, you know, but, but beyond that, do you feel like they're getting something wrong and something is conceptually wrong or just that the stories are boring and repetitive? No, uh, I don't think like it's really, really, there was only one big mistake, but it was done by uh, Norwegian public TV, where I feel I'm mad at them because they interviewed one of the craziest guy uh, who is very pro-Russian and he says that Latvian government is ready to take out army on streets to shoot on women and children. And Norwegian TV didn't check this fact and just really published it like, like this crazy man said. And then I thought, really? Scandinavian transparent in all these countries and TV and you were translating such kind of bullshit. But otherwise, no. But what we can feel like really is that foreign media are no more coming to trying to understand what's happening there about this fake news and uh, Russia's involvement and, and money, what's what's going through the Latvian banks. Two, two months ago, we had uh, three uh, journalists from Washington Post in one week in, in Riga. So what, what do you think? I think that uh, at some at some point last year, uh, Russian journalists felt, well, us, we felt some kind of pervert satisfaction about what's happening in the States. Because, guys, this is the real world. This is how it works, you know, in, in other places, not in your perfect, uh, most powerful country. Um, feel that. Feel that, guys. Uh, but speaking about journalism, uh, it, it it is, again, complicated. Because if you want to find the best professionals, the, the best specialists in what's happening in Russia, you will find them in New York, probably. And a lot of, you know, people who started uh, their careers, who made their careers on Russian agenda in the beginning of 1990s or between 1980s or 1990s, they are chiefs in, in many influential American media and they really understand the context, they really understand the agenda, they understand the culture, they understand why does it work uh, these uh, and why it doesn't work that. Uh, and uh, so we see these, you know, storm of of uh, of articles about what's happening in Russia and uh, it is biased 
Is it biased? Yes, from our from our uh, point of view, it is biased. I, I would say that the main discourse of uh, uh, liberal uh, American uh, covering of Russia. In, in what way? What do you think it's getting wrong? I just can give you one example, yeah. which made me, you know, uh, I felt really strange about about that because it it did. I couldn't frame it because, it, it, well, this is the example. So. Your intelligence service published the report about uh, Russian hackers, right? And their influence into democratic process and to elect... Um, Russian hackers. Russian hackers. Okay, I misunderstood for a moment. That was Sorry, a different report. Hackers. Um, yeah. not, not this one which you published. Not yours. <laughs> right, no, I Though understand. I support in publishing your I appreciate story. that. Um, so the, the, there is this report, and there, so the, is, there is a public. Sorry, back to the hacker rather than the hooker report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, hacker report, um, and there is a public public part of this report, which which is totally bullshit. Something about RT, very long. Oh, part this, of, this the, right, the, this unclassified the, yeah, public right. document that somebody had basically, if I can describe it, like Googled a bunch of things about. Russian state media and slapped them into a document, someone in our intelligence agencies. And it was kind of a, it was a sloppy version of something that you could have read over the last year on the BuzzFeed or the New Yorker or the Washington Post. It was just a mix of some, you know, some stories from the open sources. And it was presented as a as a, as a bulletproof of uh, you know of uh, in, 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 in interference Russian interference into what happened in in in, in America. Yeah. And in a lot of uh, articles that uh, about Russia at that period, you could r- read that it is proofed because the intelligence service uh, published the report. We haven't seen the secret part of the report, but. We agree that if it's it, it the, the intelligence services said that they investigated that and they made that you know yeah um, and you know guys is it American press are you really trust your intelligence services like this on that level uh, I mean it was very strange from my perspective as an American reporter just in that all through the summer of 2016 many news organizations were reporting that Russia was trying very clearly to influence the American election it was not a secret. Yeah. These were state government institutions doing it. It wasn't some complicated thing. There was strong evidence that that the people who hacked WikiLeaks were also hacking Estonians and Ukrainians, and that was very strong, pointed very strongly to being the Russians. Nothing the intelligence community said was anywhere near as strong as exactly. what had been reported exactly. in the media before. Exactly. Yeah, but somehow I think the media likes to have the validation of well, the government said it. It's yeah, but this, but this is strange, and I think this is this is really against the American tradition of relations between the state and and the journalists. You're always skeptical about what's what what yeah. are the guys saying because, and 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 this is really sad because when and at the same time you realize that when you when you know something that good, and you see how journalists covering that uh, you know that 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 story, yeah. you can see how it is made, how what what. Uh, right. What is the size of mistakes they are making, and you understand that you are making the, the same size of mistakes probably when you, when you write about, writing yes. about some Vladivostok story or Yekaterinburg yes. story. I mean, it's the famous it's the famous thing when the New York Times writes something about China, you say, "Wow, the New York Times knows everything about everything." And when the New York Times writes something about your street, yeah. you say, "My God, these guys are idiots." What I really um, like in American press story, I, I just want to finish yeah. because there are there are tons of critics. 
against American covering of, of what's happening in Russia from you know our sofa analytics in 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 Russian uh, Facebook. But at the same time, you see the the level of discussion in within the American American community, journalism community, because this is what actually people discuss in 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 the new in New York, in Washington. When I when I've been there, they you you've been I mean American journalists they've been asking me tons of questions about what's happening uh, in Russia about this guy and that guy, and the level of interest is 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 is. It is a space level of interest because none of Russian journalists would do anything about America on that level. Right. No, I think even Russian media seemed much less interested in the story of Russian influence in the United States election than I expected. It's true. You're right. Why is that? I thought even maybe pro-Kremlin media would be like triumphant. There is a problem. uh, When you're starting... Well, we are. We try to follow up some American stories about uh, specific Russian hackers who took part in the, uh, in, you know, in, in interference, and you can't get proofs from that side. Right. It's very right. It's just very hard, true or not. It, it's not to about get the evidence, and it is not about the region. You know, because you're getting proofs of that story. It it is not depending on where you, uh, where where you are based. It depends on what kind of sources you have, what kind of analytics talk to you, and stuff like that. And uh, well, American journalism is better than Russian journalism. This is unfortunately truth. This is sad truth for for us, for Russian journalists. I mean, when you, I mean, I think the the big narrative in the United States now, I think, ranges from, well, like the Russian government, in some basically minor ways, tried to support Trump, but ultimately. America. It, this was Americans voting for an American figure, and and the liberals are blaming the Russians all the way over to it was a you know Trump is a Russian agent. And it was a conspiracy and uh, stuff that I think a lot of it is there's really no evidence for. And I wonder from this perspective, looking back, like where do you, where on the spectrum do you see the story? Which spectrum do you mean? From from really Russian interference is being over overblown, uh, overstated, to. Trump's complicity is understated. I mean, do you have a? Th- I I feel I feel that it's it's in so many ways it is uh, your own American phenomena. No, for uh, me, and it is also phenom- it is also media phenomena because you know the the Trump is so bright a person for the stories, and it was so boosted by liberal media, and um, this is a kind of a trap you're getting in. Because when that kind of guy appears from nowhere, and he 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 was the main guy who hacked the the system in in the states, I, I guess Donald Trump it, was the main guy who hacked the system. Yes, yes, I and he totally was way more that. effective than any Russian spies hackers whatsoever. Putin. <laughs> but uh, for me, what was the biggest question, and I'm I'm thinking about this even in in a connection with our recent small municipality elections a lot of months ago. Uh, about the role of social media in elections, because I think this is the biggest issue which we still don't understand and we cannot like evaluate uh, and understand what to do with it. I mean, like with all these fake stories about Clinton, what appeared from these uh, Montenegro guys, which wrote. Uh, also, I'm wondering in Latvia, 
we have Regis Mayer, who is very successful and he really worked very well on all the digital platforms. And I would like to see how actually the Bureau uh, Against Corruption in Latvia, mm-hmm. which should monitor the expenses of pre-election campaign, political campaigns, how they will monitor how much they spend for YouTube or for Facebook or so on. I think this is something new, which is coming as in general in, in into elections and uh, yeah, I think that was, I mean, that was, that's obviously a big part of Trump's appeal. But although I do think, I mean, from my perspective, in some ways, it's it's fun to talk about how he uses Twitter, but he was really ultimately using Twitter, not to reach people on Twitter, but to program television. And he is very much a creature of television. Like he is yes. himself, really a television character. Like he's he's not so much a real estate businessman as he is an entertainment figure and a celebrity. And I think that's that's really what he brought in a way and he, what he uses twitter for is to yeah he's like this he's really what he does in the white house is he yells at the television he tweets things at the television yes, but there is and then one the television th- follows him but there is one thing what he is tweeting like yes but yeah, there's, there's another unknown thing is like all these information bubbles where like one opinion leader yeah. is saying something and and your friends back it up and then you don't see the other opinions and i'm more about this one that we it's not even so much about what trump himself is doing or like any other politician but that we don't know actually What's happening in this unseen network of social networks? Oh, this is sure. what this is what's worrying me. How we as a journalist also can reach out people through this and to break these bubbles. Yeah, no. But at the same time, it, 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 it also gives probably it gives some some food for thinking for uh, uh, for Americans as well. Because when you see how you know your your system is way stronger than our system. We started in the 1990s. We started, you know constructing democratic uh, society and we were in the beginning of transit from the uh, Soviet society to some Western looking society. So it was so fragile and it was so easy to, you know, to, to destroy uh, the beginning of the system. And this is what happened in Russia because you understand that it, it's 20, 2017 and it's and it's 18th uh 18th year of uh Putin's presidency and we were we and you know from 20, 2000 till 2010 till 2011 i felt that you know things getting better every day but since 2011 i feel that things are getting worse every day so we are some steps behind ourselves in you know 15 years ago and this is really sad because you're this is the time of your life and you're losing it and then you're finding yourself in 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 the studio in in on latvian radio with ben and inga <laughs> sorry man i know you'd rather be in moscow um the the uh, yeah, this is we're all gonna <laughs> the, we're, this is actually purgatory right actually I, I like it's a studio I, I, at latvian radio i actually i like being here <laughs> if they can't decide if you're going to heaven or hell you wind up in a studio in latvian radio um in the U.S., it's been a long time since we had a kind of, um, I think state media is the wrong word here, but there's a, the kind of just loyal, the kind of loyalist media that you have that is right now like kind of building what Fox News is to Donald Trump. And they're trying, I think, online to construct other elements of a real kind of like pro-Trump, pro-presidency media. Just it supports power. It supports the White House. It's not sympathetic it's not aligned with him it's not supportive of his party it is like aligned with power and exists to carry his water um 
And I look at Russian state television, and obviously, like, the first thing that strikes you as an American watching Russian state television is how good it is, how professional it is, how high the production value is. And I think often Americans look at Fox News and they look at, you know, people on Periscope with a thousand followers talking about supporting Trump. And, like, it's easy to laugh at, actually, from a technical perspective, and it's easy to make fun of. And I wonder, you know, if you have any thoughts on, on whether America is could is going to wind up with a with a kind of pro-Trump media as high quality as the Russian pro-Trump you know the Russian state media and what that would mean it's really tough question because in many ways it is about uh, this conception of media literacy which is extremely popular among European thinkers the uh, the basic of this conception is that you know the level of media literacy in Russia is so low the they they have the Russians have so short period of of uh, media independent media consumption that's why they are so stupid and they are consuming uh, state television as a as a real journalism that's why they are they are strongly believing what's they are you know they what they can see on the television but I, I i i i disagree with that i really think that media literacy is a, is a important um uh field for thinking uh, all over the world and in america and in great britain anywhere in many ways what happened in in great britain for example with brexit it was the result of media literacy and uh, it was boosted the by by tabloids uh well Br- british people have so long period of, of uh, quality media consumption. You right, know, they but, have but Britain has so all, but the most powerful media in Britain has always been the tabloids that appeal to emotion. But at the same time, you know, comparing Russian situation with British situation, you understand right. that... Well, oh, they obviously have a long tradition of independent media, but... Yeah, but... Uh, but I think people, right, people imagine that... Actually, I had, um, uh, what's his name? The, the, new, the, new, the controversial New York Times columnist, Brett Stevens. Mm-hmm. I was on a panel with him where he said that, well, the only real solution is, you know, only like 1% of Americans read the Wall Street Journal. And you really need like 75% of Americans to read the Wall Street Journal. And this is the only solution. Yeah. But that most people should read 2,000 word articles in broadsheet print newspapers. And if you can't have that, you can't have democracy. In which case, you know, we're obviously all screwed. But, uh, you know, I can give you some, uh, well, it's it's primitive, but it, it but it works. When you know, my parents live in in not in Moscow. They live in in big Russian city, but you know the name of this city. It is Perm in the Urals, somewhere in in the middle of Russia. One million people in a very cold place. Uh, for no reason, they live there. Um, so it's just an old industrial center, and it was impor- important for Russian Empire and then for the Soviet Empire. Anyway, so you go into these uh, to their apart. I'm going to their apartments, and as all all these people of their of their age they are living you know there are three of them my stepdad my mother and the television because you know the television is working all the time probably 14 hours per day because they are spending a lot of time at home so i am going there and i'm spending 3 days or 4 days together with them it was in 2015 and i've been watching and, and i've been listening to russian television all this time and i felt couple days later i felt that you know i really believe that fascist conquered kiev and they are killing our um, you know our guys in in donbas and the and the european union is fucked up sorry i don't know can i say this yeah you can in your curse podcast? that's the nice thing about podcast <laughs> so um so you start believing in, in what you what this is 
when when you're living here in 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 Europe in Riga and you're making Medusa and you're you have very short peri- periods of watching this television, you think, wow, this is just impossible. What are they saying? But yeah, how, how could you take those, this seriously? Yeah, right. it, it it is important because it works, but it also works. You are absolutely right because it it is a it is a brilliant television. But, but it costs like hell, by yeah. the way. Yeah, that's why we can compete with them uh, when we have plans and uh, other foreign countries are thinking what to do with Baltic countries and how to oppose Russian propaganda. Yeah, how to put out but your question of... about uh, Trump and making maybe higher quality of TV program or a best, better message, there is no need for higher and better quality of TV for maybe Trump followers to attract new followers uh, or his fans because uh, I think that the young people, as we know, they don't watch television anymore. They are already like a many a new many other platforms and this is challenge like for all as a, as a media how to reach out all these different fragments fragments of people so i think uh, if fox news is they can still stay like they are uh, if you want to think about new other additionals then you should think about the message and and, and where to reach out those people but the quality in this case will not be in my opinion it's not the most important yeah, right, thing right can be right people want authenticity on social platforms and it doesn't have to be the same yeah you can make kind of a, cross, although it's interesting to see difference. again the russian the russian and i think now china i mean i think you know one of the one of the features of this election is that every government including the us i'm sure saw saw russia's i think modest but real impact on the us election and thought oh wow i want one of those you know and so i think you see certainly china doing higher and higher quality sort of government run television you see turkey starting to do it yeah. um and and i wonder it does seem to me that and just because i i assume in some sense these are your competitors for attention but places like sputnik they seem like they do a pretty decent job right or are they still like it's, I don't, it's, it feel I, it feels like old kind of pravda style i don't feel that, that i don't feel that at all i think sputnik is one of the the uh, it is Le- way less successful than RT, for example, mm-hmm. because RT creates agenda which can get some consumers uh, in, in Europe and right. and and even in America, uh, though they are lying directly to the you know audience and yeah. they are making fake and they take they are inviting fake experts and and so on and so on and so on and it works because you know you're tr- because you you're trust because there is this a tradition of of trust to yeah. what television says yeah <laughs> that's why you believe and, it. and they have the aesthetics of expensive television yeah but i think uh, i'm an optimist uh, because i think that television is dying genre anyway yeah. in many Me ways too. and i think that you, you are buzzfeed i mean and many other websites ask us probably in that part of, of region we are trying to destroy television as an old media we're trying to and it is really good it's uh, at that historical uh, moment i think it's good that we are we are really fighting the television we are fighting for the audience it's, right it doesn't and we're gonna win it doesn't well, that's mean what that visualization as a um, as a way of showing information is dying but it will go to other platforms and we can more easily to show difference aspects of one fact like because we have phones we have all these devices and that better traditional tv where you just sit and just can switch channels this is going away I mean, it is true right the television gave us trump more than anything else and 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 he and and you know obviously television rules russia in a certain way right now i mean do you think it will be harder to lie on social media harder Later. to lie on on these new platforms um as we now 
as we can see right now, it is not hard to lie. You can you can create alternative reality completely, you know, completely fake, and people are gonna consume it. Some part because and some and, and the most um, complicated thing is that you know some part of of uh, uh, your of the audience understands that it's it's a fake reality, but they are consuming it they nevertheless. Cho- they choose it. For you, I wonder, like in this region, you know, obviously, I think that where where do you see sort of the information war being fought most intensely now? Is it? I mean, I saw you recently had a story about Poland, but where do you see sort of the most interesting front in this conflict over over the information space? It switched somehow more to these uh, social networks like Twitter's, you know, and it's still like popular. These Twitter robots, you know, when there there are hundreds of Twitter. Uh, different kind of profiles who repeat the same message and uh, now what's new and uh, what I also spoke with Stratcom uh, it's a center in Riga who also, which also analyzes the messages which comes out they are talking about this is a, this is a NATO center right? Uh, yeah yeah, they are analyzing about the websites who are publishing like about these family values and that Norwegians are pedophiles and um, all want Russian children just to adopt and rape them. And you know, you oh, know. Was this the, I missed this, this story. <laughs> oh yeah, we did even research with quotes and oh, everyone was telling this. And, and, and so the story. This was a story that was being ginned up by the Russian government at some level. Yeah, at some level it came up, uh, and the idea was it you see the Western rot, rot, rot Western countries they just want to adopt. Children and destroy family values, and uh, that's why we be strong and we are church and Christians, and they are our outside enemy. And and these all these news appeared on different strange websites. And Stratcom told people told me they got they have compiled like hundreds of such kind of websites. But we, for example, couldn't cannot put it in one database because they are changing. When it's discovered, they change for another one. And now the new uh, way of uh, how Russia is spreading its news is attacking specific people. It's like a new trend. For example, from Baltic countries, a very bright leader is a um, Lithuanian president, Grybauskaite. So there are there will be tons of articles about Grybauskaite. Or like, you know, this journalist Jessica Aro in uh, Finland. She's also, there are games made about her and so on. This is a journalist who was who investigated Russian information operations, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all the time changing and moving. And it also depends on what's happening outside. Like, uh, big gift for Russia's propaganda was migration and the refugees, you know, it right. just it just came and happened. But it's very easy to say which are the main Russian message, uh, messages because when you go to Russian language websites, there are even like hashtags at the top already, like refugees, Gribauskite, NATO as occupants and something else. Right. To what degree is there some genius in the Kremlin pulling all these strings? To what degree are there kind of mid-level people throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping what, what will stick? Positive and negative truth is that there is no place where all the decisions are made. Is it more just different people trying different? Yes, it is like there is Putin and of course his decisions are the most important and there are issues he decides, he always decides by himself. But then there are a lot of people who surround him and uh, there are groups of influence and sometimes this group wins, sometimes that group wins. And this is what actually creates space uh, within the whole system and it creates space probably for us and probably for some different actors in this space. 
it it may seem that it it looks like a, a huge and uh, and um, it looks like a system organized but in fact it's a, a lot of it's a mix of uh it's a sum of uh occasional decisions so. you know this to me was one of the most the strongest arguments against the idea that this was this incredibly that the election was hacked in this very organized way was i think julia yaffe this very good russian american yes. journalist said yes. like what do you think we're germans yeah, you know, yeah is, exactly that this is the problem when you know when you when you read these articles you're become you, you know i'm I feel proud for my country. They're so well organized. They're really <laughs> Germans, like, you know, they're hacked Americans. Wow. You know, yeah, this is not how things in Russia really work. No. You know, when you see the army Russian, this brilliant Russian army in Crimea, these super professionals, this all all these people who invade inv you know, who who invaded Crimea, this is all our professional army. That's the whole thing. The whole thing. Yes, the whole professional part of uh, professional part of our army took part in this operation in Crimea we don't have any other you know huge you, you may think that it's part of huge and very strong arm but that's not true the army is is <laughs> destroyed and nothing works nothing works in Russia it is so corrupted it is made by people who are, who didn't get A's in in schools you know they didn't get A's no they all you know, they, they are not professionals in any sphere. They creating the, we we made this uh, nickname for previous state Duma, previous Russian parliament, as a crazy printer because they printed crazy documents, they printed crazy laws. <laughs> Very, you know, the quality of these laws was ridiculous. They are making scary laws, but you can't live according to these laws. Um, and I'm not talking about the most ridiculous laws such as gay propaganda or something like no, this. No, this sounds like the early Trump administration too, the sort of incompetence. Abs total, everything. total yeah. incompetence. And that, that's why it, 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 this is what make, this is what have to make, it, 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 I, it, it, this is what makes me skeptical about Russian invasion in uh, any, anywhere. We have so small resources. We can take part in one war at a time we took part in 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 a war in ukraine and then we relocated people to to syria right but we can't take part in two wars for example we just don't have um, professional resources for that right the um, one last one story on, on medusa that i wanted to ask you about because i think it's in some ways the next thing is that there's a there's a campaign to demonize the guy who runs telegram which is a pretty secure russian-based messaging app yeah. Tell me about that. As all Russian stories, <laughs> it is bizarre. So there is this guy, Pavel Durov. He's a genius. He's an internet genius from our part. He got of A's in school? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure. And his brother. His brother is, uh, is, uh, is a developer. So they made the most popular Russian social network. It was Russia is one of uh, these few countries where local social networks are very popular. You can compare it with Facebook. And yes. his, his social network was more popular than Facebook here. This is in, for Contact. You're right. And uh, Latvia for a yeah, while had. Also, we had Draugemel. Did that survive or did Facebook over. kill it? It is, it is still, but Facebook is more popular now. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then big business took his uh, this social network so he lost his business eventually and and he moved to outside Russia 
and he decided to make new new um, company, which is Telegram, and it is popular especially in Asia, I think. And it's in basically Iran. just if you don't use it, it's a lot like WhatsApp or like yeah, other yeah. messengers. But encrypted, yeah. more but, secure. But, but right, it was it, more it, encrypted right, when before it appeared. WhatsApp was encrypted, Telegram was always encrypted. Y- exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although it, there have been doubts about how secure it is. It is there you have you always have doubts about yeah. any, you know, secure messenger. You always ask I mean you're always But anyway, it's popular it's popular in Russia. So uh, they, they they made these 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 messenger, and what is the most significant thing about this messenger? Why is it better than WhatsApp in many ways? Because it gives you an opportunity to broadcast. You can create groups uh, without any limit, without any limitations, without any limits um, of subs of subscribers. So you can create your own so Medusa Bus, Buzzfeed Ben yeah. uh, account in Telegram. And you're broadcasting. And Medusa publishes on Telegram, yeah? Yes, how, sure. how many followers do you have? 42,000 followers, not which bad. is not bad for um, that size, you know, messenger. Yeah. And um, it is very uh, good technology for broadcasting. And uh, two years ago, or one year ago, this phenomena appeared in, in Russian Telegram, anonymous uh, Telegram channels. Because when you have that weak media environment, uh, there is a space for political an, uh, analysis, there is a space for political comments, but you can't talk, pr- very often you can't, talk, you can't be not anonymous, you can't, you can't talk about it openly. So I think we, we had, now we, have, we had this boom, we had this boost of Telegram channels, anonymous Telegram channels. Mm-hmm. All these channels are about Russian politics. Some anonymous people are writing something into these into these channels. This is ninety uh, percent of what what is published there are rumors. And but this is real opposition media in a way. Yeah, uh, or it's at least critical of the government. It's really critical in a way that might be dangerous to do in public. Yeah, we know that some some people who work in in administration make some leaks uh, through these mm. mess- through through these channels. So it's it's kind of it's very interesting part of of this environment. Yeah. So they, it is not it, it's harder to get these people because the 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 messenger is so good. Mm. But then the state uh, passed this law about um Distributors, it, it is the name of the law is something like uh, the list of distributors, official distributors of information. Right. And if you are operating in Russia, you have to become a part of this, you have to register as a part of this list. So WhatsApp has to register, Skype has to register, ICQ probably has to register as, as, as a you know as a distributor of but information. the target is telegram yeah uh, and telegram as well they have to uh, register and uh, there was a big fight between Roskomnadzor which is the main censorship mm-hmm. um, you know department in Russia and telegram for registering uh, in this list so I, I think that they are trying what are they trying to reach they they want to, they want to know what is uh, who are the people behind these uh, anonymous uh, telegram channels mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. But also, this is r- some Russian guy, and they want to be in negotiations with him. Because all American companies who are operating in Russia, they are in negotiations with Russian state. Facebook, Google, everyone. Right. Everyone's talking to the Russian state. And Telegram is talking guy, to them. They, he didn't want to talk to them. Right. And so, so, what's, so now he is suddenly very famous. 
He was. He was. He, he, well, he was already famous, but now there's sort of a media campaign against him. Yeah, but it's it finished yesterday because yesterday he said, "Okay, guys, I want uh, let's register Telegram." And the way they did it was by demonizing him, basically, and portraying him as a kind of yeah. friend of terrorists. Uh, yes, they they you know it it's a stupid the stupidest any any political campaign any public campaign against somebody in Russia is always stupid because Russian television imi- suddenly starts showing some stories about this guy. No one knows Telegram, you know. I mean, the majority of people in Russia they don't know what right. is Telegram and what what is it for. And now and now suddenly he's the hero of the main you know stories in the main. Uh, TV programs. Yeah. He became superstar for everyone, though yeah. he was a star for youngsters always because yeah. he's like Russian Zuckerberg or something yeah. like this. So yeah, but he's really nice. He's he's a nice person and he's a good uh, manager. All right, so we should. We, is Medusa? Are you trying to sell Medusa to him right here, or what's the? Uh... No, 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 no. I just know him, and I know that, yeah. uh, and I don't feel that uh, he. I think that he's he's. Um, He's honest when he says that he doesn't want to communicate to any states. Yeah. Not only Russia. I think he's honest. Yeah, I mean, I think the encryption is going to be this huge challenge for governments. Um, well, thank you guys for coming on and for, for you know, coming into this uh, this this studio at Radio Latvia, which, uh, you know, where your, your, your life path has taken you. Um, yeah, and, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's good seeing you both. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Newsfeed was produced this week by Eleanor Kagan, Meg Kramer, Daryl Levy, Alex Laughlin, with a special assist from Olga Kuzmenkova.